Matthew 21, if you want to turn there. Palm Sunday. It's supposed to evoke. That's when you read the text, when we sing the songs, when we uh, when you get wrapped up in a moment like the one that's described here in the scriptures, it's supposed to evoke things in us. And this whole week, I mean, this is uh, this is our week as Christians. Like this is it, right? Like this is like what we wait for and prepare for all year. And it's not that it's only this you know this time of year that these things think through, but I mean. Believers all around the globe for the last, you know, 40-something days have been, like, setting their faces toward Jerusalem. We've been following our Savior toward uh, this moment. And the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is kind of like kicks over that first domino. Like, it sets things into motion. And uh, every day there's something. And so if you if you follow us on any social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, any of those whatever, MySpace, I don't know, is that still a thing? Um, uh, whatever. Uh, any of those things, well, not, don't, don't follow us on MySpace. It's, our page is terrible. It's not up to date or anything. So, um, But anything like that, uh, we're just going to be posting images and just kind of like, this is what happened on Monday. This is what happened on Tuesday as a way to kind of track along uh, the events of each day. Thursday night in here at 6.30, there will be a Monday Thursday service, uh, which will be a communion a, a like Lord's Supper service for us because that's what happened on Thursday. Good Friday, uh, there will be a service in here. The sanctuary will be open starting at five thirty. If you just want to come in and just sit in the the darkness of Good Friday um, and read and pray, we'll have some things for you to read and kind of follow along. And then at seven o'clock, there'll be a brief service, uh, intentionally dark. Good Friday is ironically named, right? It's it's a bad Friday. And Saturday is that kind of awkward time where you don't really know what to do. Neither did the disciples, and so that's kind of appropriate. In Louisiana, a lot of people boil crawfish, apparently, but I doubt that they did that. So, um, but on Saturdays, you're kind of waiting, and then Sunday is like the big one, right? So this whole week, uh, we are dialing in as Christians, as followers of Jesus, tracking along with what happened to our Savior and our Rabbi during this time. Matthew 21 uh, describes this. Meg read it for us a little while ago. Um, and there's a couple of things that I want to point out. So I'm going to read it again. I hope that's all right. Not that she did. She did a great job. Uh, I'll do a next as good of a job as her. Um, Matthew 21. Let's read it again, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples... Uh, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So let me kind of just going to kind of just make some observations, point out some things about this description of what's going on. Um, and then kind of just a couple of like walkaway points. Because the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there's, there's so many different ways that you could like preach this and teach this and talk about it and, and understand it and things to make note of. Um, so here's just a couple of, couple of things. One is just the overall setting. So this was the beginning of, of Passover. And so, uh, like, Israelites from all over Israel would make a pilgrimage because they wanted to spend Passover in Jerusalem with uh, people from their lineage and their families and stuff like that. And so, this was like a really, this is a really big deal, kind of a coming together of a nation. Not the entire nation, but lots and lots of people were there. Um, And Passover celebrates liberation from Egyptian slavery. So it goes back to Exodus. And so they've celebrated Passover every year as a part of remembering how God set them free. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about liberation and about uh, God, uh, Jesus saying, I've come to set, like to bring liberty to the captives and, to, and freedom to the oppressed. And so Passover has this theme of freedom. That's a part of what it's about. And so in terms of throwing back to the past, it was freedom from, from Egypt but at the time, it had also kind of come to, to give them a chance to express how much they wanted to be free from Roman uh, governance. And so it was a little bit of a, there's like kind of an uprising vibe that kind of happened as well. Like, God freed us from Egypt. He will free us from Rome. Uh, and it wasn't a slavery kind of situation, but there was a lot of oppression. And they were just, they wanted to be their own nation. And they thought that the Messiah was going to, uh, do that for them, bring freedom from Rome. And so it kind of had, had a little bit of a revolutionary uh, approach to it you know, every time they got together. And so that's sort of the tone of, of things. People were, they were kind of riled up every single time, and it just reminded them of the prophecies, and it reminded them that God had promised that he was going to send someone to deliver them from all this. Um, so if you notice, you know, there's like this, this detail about Jesus is like, go, I, I need to borrow a donkey, basically. You know, uh, Jesus didn't own a donkey, but he's like, I just need to borrow one for a minute. We've all been there, right? And so, so I just need to borrow a donkey. I'll bring it right back, that kind of thing. Um, and there's a detail that's in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel that's not in Matthew's. Let me just read it to you. Um, this is Luke 19.30. It says, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Mark eleven two says the same thing. It's it's like, hey, there's a there's an unbroken animal there. And I'll need you to bring it to me because I'm gonna ride that joker into town. And I don't know if you've ever ridden an unbroken animal. I have not, so don't think like there's a great story that's about to happen. You would have heard it. You would have all heard it by now. It's like, oh yeah, Josh telling the donkey story, you know, whatever. Um, I don't have a good story about that. I do know that uh, one of the things that the triumphal entry reminds me of is uh, if you've been around batteries for a while, there was a time growing up where I, the uh, First Baptist Zachary would put on this big pageant at Christmas time every year. And maybe some of you had, have gone to this pageant. My uncle was the minister of music at First Zachary, and so we would go there. You know, we'd go watch the pageant every year. 
And one of my favorite things about it, especially as a kid, was the fact that they had like animals in the sanctuary. Like that just broke all the rules to me, you know. So they would, the first half was like, you know, the choirs in tuxes and dresses and everything's really nice. And then they had a uh, intermission. They would convert the stage into like old Jerusalem. And then everyone would, would be in Bible costumes and stuff. And there was always this one song where the people started to filter in and there'd be some like goats, you know, on the stage. And as a kid, that just blew my mind. I was like, there's no way. Like, we can't even run in the sanctuary. And that dude's bringing a goat in the sanctuary. And then uh, when Mary would, would come in, she would ride on a donkey. And that was the ultimate for me because like, you have like basically a horse inside the sanctuary. That, that's amazing to me. And then on the triumphal entry part of the storyline, then Jesus would come in on the donkey and it, there'd be palms and they're like, they're just reenacting the whole thing. And it was just so moving. And then when I got uh, into college, I would play in the orchestra because my uncle was the guy. So nepotism, right? So uh, I would play in the orchestra. And so picture like, here's the orchestra pit. And you're like, we're like sitting like this, you know, and the donkey comes in and the donkey would like walks this way. So basically my head and his feet, hooves or whatever it is, are like the same level. And the first time I remember sitting there and I was, and I, I was a French horn player. So I'm holding my French horn, you know, and I'm like, what happens if this is the day that this donkey is like, no more, you know, <laughs> like, no, not having it anymore. Or what if he looks at this French horn and is like, that looks like a coiled up snake. I'm about to stomp it, you know? Like, what happens to me if this 500-pound donkey just has enough, you know? And it never happened or anything, so I was okay. But I remember thinking about how much trust they had in this donkey for this random guy that looked like Jesus uh, to ride into it up on this platform with all these people and this donkey not to go crazy. Jesus says, I want to ride the one that no one's ever ridden, ever. It's not used to having people hop up on its back, you know. It's not even really, like, necessarily separate from its mom yet. It's young, uh, just not used to that kind of thing. Jesus says, I want the one that no one has ridden. I don't think that's like a random detail to just, you know, oh, that's kind of interesting. I think that there's a purity about the triumphal entry, to think that God was like, well, uh, this, this is not just any donkey, you know. Because if you, if you read Jewish history, there were a number of different, like, Messiah figures who rode into town on a donkey, trying to be like, this is the prophecy, this is the moment, this was a, a normal thing. They're like, oh, here, here comes another one, here comes another one. And it's almost like God's saying, no, this is not just any animal. And Jesus was not afraid to get on an unbroken animal and I wonder, a couple years ago, I thought, I wonder if it's because Jesus is like, well, this animal will know its creator instantly. No one else really recognizes what's going on here. Everyone else is missing the point, but the, this, this cult is going to get it. It's a holy and sacred moment. It's a special moment, unlike any other moment. And even though Jesus had to borrow the donkey because he didn't have his own, this is a special occasion. Fulfills Zach, uh, the prophecy that's quoted there is Zechariah 9 9. God is not a random God. This is not a random story. It seems random at first. He's like, no, I prophesied that this was going to happen a long time ago because I knew that this is the way it was all going to go down. When we see the procession, uh, it says in verse 9, sorry, look at verse 8. 
Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. When you put your cloak on the ground, this was an act of, of, of honoring someone who is deserving, someone who is worthy. That when the king would ride into town, they would send word ahead of them. And when they found out, oh, the king is coming to our town, you would, the whole town would go out to meet them. And so you'd go down the road that was coming in and you would wait for the king to come. Because the king should have a, like a procession, right? They should have a, a welcoming and so the, you would go and you would wait for the king. And as the king got closer, they would take their cloaks off and lay them down. Almost like in a, in a wedding when you know, there's the, the flower girl comes and throws the petals. Or uh, I always think of coming to America when the king of Zamunda just has the petal thrower. You know, that kind of thing. But like royalty shouldn't walk on normal ground. Royalty should walk on like special ground. And so they made the ground special. And the, the like cutting of branches, that to us that just seems maybe kind of random and... Um, but to them, it, it had, a, had a, a hint of nationalism to it. And so, you know, if, if you look at our political rallies and there's like American flags and, you know, people are waving, waving flags and waving red, red, white, and blue stuff or eagles, you know, that kind of stuff. Like anything that you, you don't wave an eagle, don't wave an eagle. But, you know, like you see an eagle and you're like, that stands for freedom, that stands for America, that stands for something. That's what we associate it with. Palm branches would have had the same effect. So you have cloaks on the ground for the for royalty. You have uh, the it's nationalism, but it's also it's it's about victory though. It's saying we are a nation and we will win and we will overcome Rome or anything else that comes up against us and we will be a world power again. And so when they're waving those branches, they're, it's it'd be like us waving an American flag of like this this at a political rally of like this is our priority. This is what is important. So those cloaks are there, and those branches are there, and they're screaming, and they're, it's, they're saying, Hosanna, if you look at verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. They're, they're directing that cry that, we, that I talked about a little while ago, and we kind of prayed that, that save me prayer. Uh, they're directing it at him. They're saying, the one that's come from the, the line of David, you are the rescuer. You are the lifeguard that has come for us. You are the search team that has come to rescue us. And they're directing it at him. And this, their reaction to this whole thing is very telling about where their expectations were. That this was a political rally for them. That that was their mindset. is uh, He's going to come and he's going to make us a dominant world power again, just like David did. We're coming back to the days of David. And so they were fired up. And Jesus was probably, I mean, not that fired up. It says in Mark that like after he like looked around and he like, then he went back to what he was doing, basically. He didn't get all caught up in it. It's like he rode into town and then what? Like, did he go and give a speech? No. Did he have a big rally? No. A fundraiser? No. Did he have a, a gala to attend? No. He just rode in, was basically like, okay, I checked that box. Now I've got to go check some other boxes. But the climate on the triumphal entry is one that we have to really capture to understand that the entire crowd was missing the point, except for Jesus and the cult. <laughs> Everyone else kind of missed it. And so let me give you three, three just like single word takeaways that will help us to not miss it also. Three, three simple words with a little bit of explanation. One is rescue. 
Look at verse 5. Notice what the, what the prophecy says that is quoted in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now they were very focused on the donkey part of that. But I want us to look zero in on the your king is coming to you part. That the rescue of God's people is executed by God himself. That he did not delegate this, you know. He wasn't like, I don't have time for that. I'll send someone else to kind of go do that thing. That he came in person to bring good news to the poor. To set at liberty those who are captive. To restore sight to the blind. To give freedom to the oppressed. To say that today is the day of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee has begun. You know, he didn't send a scroll or a text or email or anything. Like he was like, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. Because that's what I've been telling you the whole time. That I am coming to you. You don't. It's not about us getting to God. It's about the fact that God came to us. I feel like I feel like you know we hear that sometimes. I'm like, yeah, that's the big difference in Christianity. Is all the, a lot of the other world religions, almost all of them, it's about you trying to attain more and more and more, kind of work your way toward being good enough for God. And yet, God came to us. That can't ever be like a cliche thought. I'm like, yeah, I know, I kind of know that already. It's stunning that God would come to us, His rebellious children. Who think that we know better. And have basically just told him no. I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this. And then we end up in a bind. And we realize. Oh yeah. I'm spiritually dead. (laughs) I'm in spiritual poverty. And I cannot change my situation. I cannot set myself free. I cannot restore my own sight. I cannot break free from this oppression. I, I need the year of the Lord's favor to begin. And I'm not the one that can inaugurate that. I'm. Completely dead, and a dead person cannot bring themselves back to life. You are completely dependent on someone else. So if the EMTs show up, and someone has, like, has flatlined, and it's, it's, the person who's flatlined can do nothing. It's the EMTs that do their magic and like, charge them and like, try to bring them back to life. Like, that is, like you are a passive participant once you are dead. And when we were spiritually dead, we were passive participants in our own resurrection. We had, it had to be enacted upon us. So Jesus says, your king is coming to you. I am coming to you. So our rescuer is not only the only one who could do it, but he was willing to do so. And that cannot be lost. And so in verse 9, when they're crying, Hosanna, 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 it's not a random lifeguard that's coming to rescue them. It's God himself. They didn't understand it. We have to understand it. And if you are here and there's a part of you that always feels like you are just not enough. You know, in, in, in any area of life. So it could be a spiritual not enough. Like, you're like, why would God give a rip about me? God seems to be blessing other people, but yet he's neglecting me. You know, there's like all those... Those like cycles of lies that we can get caught up in. You need to pay attention to what is being said here. Your king has come to you. He's come for you. 
that when you're drowning and the lifeguard finally gets you and you look him in his face, it's God that you're looking in the face. But the same thing, though, if you're caught up in comparison or wounds and baggage from your past or insecurities or any of the other things that make us feel like we are just not enough. Maybe a part of why God brought you here today is for this to get across to you, that you are enough for him, just like you are. And he says, come as, as you are. Now, you will not stay as you are. Like, when you say yes to Jesus, we don't, we don't stay like we were. But he doesn't say, well, kind of get your act together first and then come to me. He's like, no, I came to you. So just like you are, just say yes to me, and then we'll, we'll start to work on some stuff, you know. But whatever is going on with you, if, you, if you're sitting there and you kind of just always feel like you're not enough for him, for other people, whatever, you need to know that he thought enough of you to come and find you. Your king is coming to you. Humble, mounted on a donkey, yes, but he's coming to you. That's the first thing, rescue. Second thing, second word would be victory. Look again at verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so while they did this, they had, they had victory in mind, like I was saying a minute ago. They were thinking military, they were thinking political, they were thinking become a world-dominant power again. And they got the victory part right. The victory was coming to them, it just wasn't the kind of victory that they thought. That the victory Jesus was bringing wasn't about Rome or any other nation. He says, well, your real captor is sin and death. And so I'm going to come and free you from that. There's going to be victory for you. Because I'm going to share my victory with you. It says in Isaiah 53 that he shares the spoils of his victory. And so they're, they're waving those branches and they're... They have the right idea, it's just misplaced. And so what can we do? Or we can place it in the right place. We can say, okay, I recognize who my true captor is. That sin and death have been put away for me. And now I'm learning how to live like a free, a free man, a free woman. And yeah, there's, we trip up, we all trip up. There's no one in this room that's just gotten it right from the jump. As soon as I said yes to Jesus, I never did another thing that was dumb. I'm like, no, we're, we're in the same boat in that regard. But it's not because there hasn't been victory and freedom. The way that Paul helps us understand it is he talks a lot about, he talks about the mind, about being transformed by the renewal of our mind. So the victory comes where God removes our heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, so we're new, we have that new inside where we go from being dead to being alive. And once you're alive, you're like, yeah, but my mind still thinks like a dead person. Jesus says, yeah, so how about, the way this will work is you'll just come follow after me. You'll deny yourself. You'll take up your cross every day. Like you'll be obedient every day and you'll just imitate me. And what I'll do is I'll reprogram your mind. I'll teach you how to think like I do. Teach you how to handle things like I do. I'll teach your, your mind how to catch up with your heart and build that consistency out. And then what's going to happen is other people are going to look at your life and you're going to say, how, what happened to you? Not in like a, I went to youth camp and my life is super different for like six days and then I'm back to the... Not that kind of different. Like 
No, like I've watched you morph over time. Like, how, what is that thing that has happened? And you say, well, uh, I was dead, now I'm alive. And my rescuer is teaching me how to live. He has brought victory to me. It's not the kind of victory I thought I needed. I used to think I just needed better habits, better behaviors, better, all this external behavior modification stuff. But turns out I was dead inside and now I'm alive inside. And now I'm just trying to figure out how to be who I was made to be the whole time. And the kindness of our rabbi, our savior, our redeemer is that he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to help like build that out in you. We're going to do that together. And I'm going to put you in a community of people who are all doing the same thing. And so uh, we're going to kind of fight this battle together. That's where the church comes in. And I'm also going to make you a place where people can come in to the, into the community and become a part of your life. And they start to hear what you have heard and see these things. And then they get to be a part of it as well because I've said yes to everyone. That the victory is not just for the Jewish nation. The victory is for everyone. And so the first point is rescue. The second point is, is, is victory. That he says, yeah, that's what today is about, but maybe not how you thought. But you're going to love, you're going to love the real version of what this is. And the second thing. Here's the third and final point. Sacrifice. This is a week where we're going to watch our, watch the story play out in our Savior's life. And he's going to go from this triumphal entry into uh, a very like em- emotional preparing of the disciples for what is about to happen. Um, he's going to say goodbye to them in a way that, that they are not expecting. He's going to take the Passover meal and, and give it its fullest meaning. And then he'll be betrayed. He'll be arrested. He'll be tortured. Um, he'll be uh, murdered. He'll be buried. Um, but Sunday's coming, right? The old thing. That's what is going to happen this week. So this was the day of Passover when the community would, they would come together. And a part of what happens in Passover is that you, you buy an animal. You buy a lamb. And that lamb is with you all during the week. And uh, you probably shouldn't give it a name because uh, that lamb will be sacrificed at the end of the week. And um, so that sacrificial lamb will be for the sins of your family. And this day, the triumphal entry day, is the day when you went and picked out the lamb for your family. And so in a sense, Jesus gets on the donkey and rides into town. And he's basically saying, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the lamb that you're looking for. I'm the once and for all lamb. You do this every year and it never really works. And now I'm here to break the cycle. So he's kind of like, hey, this is, this is his opportunity to say, everyone look at me. Look at me, because I'm, I'm the guy. And when I am sacrificed, that means that you won't have to go sacrifice those little lambs anymore. And that torture and all the things that, like, I mean, he could have died a number of different ways, but God said, no, there's going to be bloodshed, and it's going to be public, and it's going to do all the same things that the Passover did, but it's going to be forever. And it's one time, and it's for everyone who puts their faith in him, ever. 
And so the sacrifice that Jesus has, you know, he's, he comes and he brings the rescue, but he brings victory, but it's not the victory the way they thought. He, he brings victory. Instead of it coming through force, he brings it through love. And it's the kind of love that is self-sacrificing that he displays for us. And so they were kind of missing the point, but we had to be like, yeah, that's, that's my rescuer. When I cried Hosanna because I was dead, he's the one who came for me. And he's the one that brings victory to me through his love for me. And he's the one who has done what it took to bring me back to life and teach me how to live. He's the one. He's the one. And we don't have to keep we don't have to keep doing it anymore. Like it's it's once and for all, and everyone is invited into this. So the triumphal entry it's it's an exciting story, but it's such a sad story because they were just they were just off in left field about it. And that's not a judgment against them. It's more about us being like, hey, how about we are not off in left field? How about we are on the same page with Jesus here, our rescuer? The one who brings us victory. The one who has sacrificed for us. The one who continually offers himself. You know, since we started, uh, like, like the churches came together and, and we started meeting together. And we've been doing communion each week. And uh, John Wesley, that's a Greg Keller reference right there. John Wesley says, I always told him that anytime I reference Wesley, I give him a shout out. John Wesley says that any response to what Jesus is doing is a response to him, like him offering himself to you. So in the Methodist church, there's communion offered every week because like that was like one of the things is like, if if you're going to say yes to him about anything in your life, you, you need what he is offering to you. That instead of, of whoever is serving communion that day, offering you the body uh, of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you and, and you thinking like, okay, I'm going to take that bread, I'm going to dip it in that juice, I'm going to take it. Instead of thinking like, oh, uh, you know, so-and-so is, is serving communion today, you're thinking, no, this is really Jesus himself standing in front of you with the body and the blood saying, this is what you need. You know that, right? And by you coming to get it, you're saying, yes, I know that. That no matter what it is, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, or if it's just like, I, you're just, whatever's going on in your life, like, I, I just, I gotta, I gotta say yes to him. And communion helps me to do that. Then it's Jesus offering himself to you. He's saying, this is what you need. And you say, yes, that's what I need. And so if that is, if that is you, we're going to have that as an option in a minute. You may want to come and kneel and pray. These steps are open for that. You may want to just sing. We want to give you a couple options because all of us are different. If you have, if you have, the, like you were just like, I'm not real sure if I've ever been rescued from death or not, you know. Then we want to talk to you about that as well. Because, like, the Savior's arms are open wide to all of us all the time. And so if it's your first time saying yes to Jesus, or you just, you just say yes to Him constantly, you've done it for a long time, it doesn't really matter. These next few moments are for us to say, we get what the triumphal entry is about, and we want to celebrate it. We want to say thank you. We want to invite you into what you're doing. We want to walk in what you are offering to them, and they may have missed it, but we will not miss it. So wherever that looks like for you in these moments, we want to give you a chance to do that. And we're going to sing, and we're going to, there'll be some people moving around the room. And if you want to receive communion, they'll be at the front. Move to the middle aisles, and we're kind of like circle the wagons toward the outside, you know, kind of thing. See how that works. 
A lot of movement around the room. But don't, don't misinterpret what's going on. You, don't, you, need to, you need to say yes or no to whatever God's stirring in your heart before you leave. And we'll stick around as long as you want to to pray and talk afterwards. So how about we stand together? The musicians will come back. Let me pray for us. God, I am thankful for all that you have done for us and all that you're doing in our midst. I'm thankful that uh, every person in this room is someone that you had in mind when you rode that donkey into town. That you, you, you did it to, to obey the Father and to glorify his name you also did it for the rescue of, of every son and daughter of God's that has ever been taken captive by sin and death. You did it to, to bring liberty to every one of us. And there isn't a single person in this room who is an exception to that. And so whatever it is that you're stirring in us, whatever it is that you're calling us to, we just want to say yes to you this morning. We thank you for rescue and victory and for your sacrifice. And may these next few moments just help us to really uh, honor you well and honor you deeply. We love you very much. We pray this all in your good and wonderful name. Amen.